Mark chapter 2 in verse 13. We're going to read down to verse 17. Speaking of Jesus, it says these words. It says, and he went forth again by the seaside. Mark 2, 13. And all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. So he's got a crowd around him, and he taught them about the kingdom of God. And as he passed by, he saw Levi. His other name was Matthew, the son of Alphaeus. He was sitting at the receipt of custom. He was a tax collector. He was a hated man. He was uh, not, not welcome in Jewish society, even though he was a Jew. Uh, they, everybody considered him as a thief and a liar um, because that's what he did. That's how he made his money. He worked for the Romans. He didn't work uh, for the benefit of the people. And there he was sitting at the receipt of custom, and he said unto him, Jesus said unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, in not Jesus' house, he didn't have a house. Jesus sat in Levi's house. Many publicans and sinners. Um, uh, I've lost my place there. Um, sat also together with Jesus. And with his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. Now, this upset the Pharisees, verse 16. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto the disciples, How is it that he, Jesus, eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole, they that are healthy, have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous. Notice that word, call. Came not to call the righteous. You can't find God, but he's looking for you. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray. Father, please bless these truths this morning to your people. Feed us and convict us. And, and uh, Lord, help somebody to understand the gospel this morning. Help every Christian understand the value of a, of a different heart and a different way of looking at, um, at you and at our sin and ourselves. Lord, please bless <clears throat> the preaching this morning. Give me liberty. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and help every hearer to hear your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, by the way, I want to say this. A lot of people say the most important attitude is gratitude, and I believe in being thankful. But that is not the most important attitude. The most important attitude is that word right there. We're going to learn about it. Uh, we just looked at those verses. We, we learned about a man named Levi who was called by Jesus to follow him. And we read how Jesus actually sat down with some of the most lowest of society. These were the friends of Levi. They were harlots, tax collectors, thieves, and liars. And Jesus ate with them and taught them about the kingdom of God. All the while, there are a load of people outside looking in that were looking at him and judging them as unworthy of the kingdom of God, and that Jesus was wasting his time. Jesus mentioned to them, he said, they that are healthy, they that are whole, don't need a physician, but they that are sick. And, uh, that's when Jesus announced that he had come to call sinners, not to himself only. Yes, we're, we're invited to come, drink of the water of life freely. But he said, I am come to call sinners to repentance. And that's a good thing. You see, we've learned that something's very wrong with every one of us. There's no exceptions. There is something wrong. It's called sin. Now, this week we've seen that there are a lot of problems with cops. There's a lot of problems with culture. There's a lot of problems with history. But every culture and every nation, even the Irish nation, don't you get off and think that it's only a problem in America or only in England or whatever. Every culture, every nation has a problem, if we would admit it. Religion hasn't changed the human heart, has it? This world has been full of religion, and yet there's been a lot of mess up with that. The truth is we all are wicked in our heart. 
We all are stubborn. We all are stiff-necked fakers and frauds when it comes to our righteousness. We can put on a nice show. We can act religious. You know, when we have church again, people are going to come into church. And and majority of us, we're going to know how to put on a good show. Uh, I saw a, a great quote there. It says people are worried about wearing masks to church. But let me. But the point was, we've been wearing masks for a very long time already, and yes, that's wrong. We under the surface, we're rebellious, we're wicked, and we're wrong. Now, a lot of churches, most churches, never talk like that. Most churches try to make you feel better. Most churches try to get you out of your depression, out of your discouragement, get you through the week, and that's important. But you can't have an imbalance. Sometimes you got to know that that uh, uh, God's calling us not to a life of luxury, not to a life of ease, not to a life of pleasure, but to a life of repentance. Now, we all uh, have an evil nature. What's an evil nature, Pastor? An evil nature is we do our own thing. We don't actually have to go murder somebody to be evil. When we do our own way, Jesus didn't die only for murderers, and he did, but he died for people who don't want to do God's will. He died for people who are sinners. We satisfy our own desires. We seek only our own pleasure. We don't care who we hurt. The abuse by police and the burning of sinners, cities actually show the broken and messed up human heart in all its depravity. So as a species, we're far too comfortable with our sins against God. We're too tolerant of things that God has said is wrong. More and more, they vote on uh, making uh, homosexuality part of culture and the priority in culture now. The more and more they promote teaching sex education to six-year-olds, the more and more there's promotion of things that God says are wrong, the more our society uh, falls apart because it's only feeding the human heart. The abuse, um, uh, let me just move on. The love of this world and ourselves uh, we love this world far too much. We love ourselves far too much. And we got love God the least. And I don't think there's any signs that things are going to get any better. So the truth is our hearts are hard. And uh, when I got saved 39 years ago, let me give you an illustration. When I got saved 39 years ago, Nita, can you hand me that there? Yeah, when I got saved 39 years ago, uh, nobody had, I just watched everybody watching the, 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 the preacher up at the front as he preached. I noticed some people were taking notes. They didn't tell me to take notes um, uh, while they're preaching. I, did, I didn't even know what Bible to use. I did. I was just brand new. I went off and I bought me and I still have notebooks from 39 years ago where I started to sit down there and I hung on every word. And anytime he said, look up this scripture, we go to the scripture, I'd write it down and then quickly go look it up. And there was a hunger in me. I don't know what type of, of uh, Christianity you've got, but there was a softness. There was a a, a, a thirst for something from heaven. And every week uh, I came and I learned more how to live. I learned in a Sunday sermon how to love. I learned from the man of God how to pray. I learned what to give, where to go. I learned, I learned those things. Now, years later, here we are. Most times when I preach, you know what I know? I know it's like rain off the back of a turtle. It doesn't go anywhere. And that's a shame. Our hearts are hard. Our hearts are hard. And I'm not talking about the sin, the world. I'm talking about Christians. Our hearts are hard. If you struggle, if you have no struggle with just staying in bed, not even being in church or putting everything, your heart is hard. You're not just sinning. You're enjoying it. Our hearts are hard. 
Our necks are stiff. By the way, let me go back to go to Proverbs chapter 28. We're going to leave Mark for a little bit. Go to Proverbs chapter 28. Middle of your Bible is the book of Psalms. The next book after that is Proverbs chapter 28. And Proverbs 28 verse 14 says this. Happy is the man that feareth always. Fears God always. But he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. You ever wonder why you struggle with sin and why it just gets easier and easier to sin? Because you've hardened your heart against God. You didn't like it when pastor rubbed you the wrong way, when, when the preaching was, was directed against you. And when you harden your heart, you'll fall into mischief. Uh, go to Proverbs chapter 29, one chapter over, look at verse 1. And the Bible does say, Paul says this, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Now, there's, that's a good thing. But when I'm preaching, I have to expose sin. I have to uh, explain where, where we're doing wrong and how to get right. But he that being often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy, that hard neck. Now, the hard neck is that attitude that we get where we say, I'm not going to uh, yield. I'm not going to give in. You're just making me matter and matter. Well, hard hearts, stiff necks are our problem. We can't blame God because he knows what our problem is. He knows how to fix it. We can't blame the preacher because he's just like you. You're not trying to stand up there and looking down on anybody. He's just as wicked as you are. There's, there's, there's problems in me that I look at these things and I go, I'm not qualified to preach these things because I'm still struggling. But here we are. We're going to let God just speak to us and humble us and hopefully convince us we need a better attitude. We need a new attitude about repentance. Jesus calls all to follow him. And by following him, it begins and continues in the attitude of repentance. Now, our modern world needs to repent. Our modern world doesn't just need the love of Jesus. Doesn't just need the love of, of God or the grace of God. Back in Exodus chapter 32. Back Exodus chapter 32. When God looked down on his people, the Jews. And he looked, looked forward to how he was going to lead them out of Egypt and through the wilderness into the promised land. Look at how he described his own people, the Jews. And don't think you're any better. Exodus chapter 32, verse 9. The Lord said unto Moses, I have seen these people. Behold, it is a stiff neck, which means this. They're going one way and God can't change them. God can't pull them this way. God can't twist them to do the right thing. Our necks are stiff against God. We refuse to come when he calls. You know, people notice when you warn them and you say, don't do that, but they'll keep right on doing it. I'll tell somebody, it's time to put the cigarettes down. It's time to put the e-cigarette down. God says not to defile your body. God says for you to live long. God says for you to be an example to your children. And yet they just go right ahead and pick up that cigarette again. Uh, I tell somebody they need to uh, change their habits in this way. They need to get out of bed and get a job and they'll just stay in bed. That bothers me. I know it bothers God. People stay stay fornicating. They stay, I'm talking about Christians stay addicted to pornography. They go and they get their drink every day and every night. They have filthy mouths. They mock anyone who warns them about ignoring God. Our modern world needs, needs to repent, and so do we Christians. The only hope for this world is not more politics. The last thing America needs right now is more politicians or more money, or more entitlements, or more promises. America needs to repent. So does Ireland. Uh, you're not, did you know, it, you're rarely going to change anybody's behavior until 
their heart has changed. We have lived without God and we are reaping our own destruction. That's why repentance has to be preached to everyone. And I, I love preaching about the love of God. I love preaching about heaven. I love everything in my Bible. But there comes a time where we need to be told it's time to repent. Romans chapter 2. I'm taking you to some scriptures here this morning. Romans chapter 2 because repentance is the foundational attitude throughout the scripture. Romans chapter 2. You know, uh, uh, if God is being good to you, it's because he's leading you to repentance. Go to Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. He's asking a question. Paul asks, are you despising thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance? Forbearance is long-suffering towards us. And long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God, not the harshness, not yet, but the goodness of God leadeth thee to, not just to salvation, not just to a better life, but he leads you to an attitude of repentance. Because repentance is the foundation of the gospel. Let's go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, verse 46. <clears throat> Did you know repentance has to be preached first before the good news of the gospel can be preached? Luke chapter 24, verse 24, verse 46. Jesus said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved. It was appropriate for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that what? That repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now that's our command. Our modern world needs to know it needs to repent. Uh, Jesus offers all the right reasons why we should too. All right. Because it'll be the hardest thing you do and you keep doing. So by way of background, God has warned us about the need to repent, not just believe. Do you know, remember, the devils believe. There in James, it says, don't you say, well, I have this faith and I have that faith and I believe all these things. The devils believed and yet they never changed. So head knowledge and belief from the head doesn't make you a better person. What are we looking at? Now go back to Matthew 11. Jesus warned that we need to repent. Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. Matthew eleven twenty. 20. And when we come to the word upbraid, it means he rebuked. He took him to task. Matthew eleven twenty. 20, then began he, Jesus, to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. So all the miracles didn't change their heart, did it? As he taught, it didn't change their heart. As he did the miracles, it didn't change their heart. They repented not. Then Jesus begins to speak and he says, woe unto thee. Woe meaning danger. Warning Chorazin, which was a town there. Woe unto you, another town, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done back in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon to the day of judgment than for you because Jesus was there. And he says something really strong, verse 23, and thou Capernaum, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, very proud of themselves, had lots of money. They were very successful as a city which are exalted unto heaven, verse 23, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done over in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. What a scary thought. What a scary thought. Remember, uh, Jesus was warning 
that there was a need for people to repent, go to Matthew chapter three, back to Matthew chapter three. We know John the Baptist preached it, and some people think, well, that was just John. Matthew chapter three and verse one. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I go to chapter four. Matthew chapter four and verse 17. Well, that was not just John. That was now, we're going to find out who else speaks. Verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach. And guess what he said? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Go to Luke chapter 11, uh, Luke chapter 13. Luke 13. What's the word? Repent. Luke chapter 13. I'm going to start there in verse 1. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. What an awful thing to happen. Pilate was a wicked man who slaughtered some Jews and then mixed their blood with the sacrifices they were offering, just as a show of, of mockery. And Jesus answering unto them, suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans? You think they were the worst of all because they suffered such things? Verse 3, I tell you, what does he say? Nay. They were not worse, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, Peter preaching. In verse 19, Acts 3, 19. Peter preaching just after Pentecost. He said, repent ye therefore and be converted. Now, repentance doesn't convert you, but repentance is necessary for conversion. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. You know, repentance is very humiliating, but afterwards is times of refreshing. Afterwards is the removal of our sins. One more, Acts 17. Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. Acts 17, 30. Paul now preaching. He says, the times of this ignorance God winked at means God closed his eyes and didn't pay attention to all the details, could really take us to task over every little thing we did. But the times of this ignorance of what was right and wrong, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. So evidently, repentance is super serious. I mean, super serious. And yet it is skipped over in most churches, in most sermons, and even in most Bibles today. Let me show you what I'm talking about. I believe the wrong Bibles result in the wrong gospel. Go to Matthew chapter 7, back to the left, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. I always uh, worry about people who come to church and they just say, oh, I'm saved. Yes, I'm a Christian. I wonder, are they really? And I, I'm not going to judge you. I don't know you. But let me tell you, there's going to come a day where people will stand before Jesus Christ. And they're going to be able to say all the right things. They're going to be able to say they did all the right things, but they never were born again. I mean, they just they just keep it always at arm's distance. They never, I believe, they never repented to believe. Watch. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, or they can call him high and mighty things, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day when, he's, when they're judged, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? We didn't use Buddha's name. We used your name. And in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works. 
And I, then will I profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. They saw themselves as good. Jesus said, you needed to see yourself as evil. You need to see yourself as wicked. You need to see yourself as a sinner, just like those harlots and, and, and tax collectors and publicans and sinners that Jesus sat down with and ate. At least they were honest. It was the Pharisees who said, I am not like them. I'm glad I'm not like other men are. Now that leads me to my point this, and that is that wrong Bibles result in the wrong gospel. Let me show you something. Matthew chapter nine. Oh, by the way, if you went into a Christian bookstore or if you went on to Amazon, you want to find you a Bible, you'd find you 100 different versions. And there's another one every year. You find all these different Bibles. They're not all the same. They are not. When you come to Matthew chapter nine, Matthew chapter nine and verse 19, uh, sorry, verse 13. When you get there, let me show you what the NIV says. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And there's a full stop. As if Jesus said, I just want sinners around me. Now, that sounds good. And most people, you know, and I find myself going through it too. When you're given the gospel, you just say, Jesus loves you. God died for you. But you never call anybody to repent. It says here in Matthew 9, 13, NIV, that Jesus just wants sinners around him. But according to your Bible, the King James Bible, go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy. I want to give mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And it doesn't stop there. Oops, I missed it. To repentance, it should say. Jesus calls us to repentance because we're sinners. I'll show you another one. Back there in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, we looked at it already in the ESV, in the English Standard Version, which is real popular today. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those that are well have no need of a physician. But those that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And it stops there. This is in almost every new Bible. And then your King James Bible, when Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, same verse, different Bibles. He saith unto them, they that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's in your King James Bible. That's why we believe the King James Bible, because it is, uh, it is more precise. It's not just, well, it's just Jesus just wants sinners. I believe this, it, this is the reason why Jesus came. He didn't come to just call sinners to come and have a party with him, which is what a lot of mega churches are like. Do you ever been in one of those things? You ever watch them? Now, I'm not sitting here in total judgment of them, but I'm going to say this. I wouldn't go to them. I actually walked away from them. Not because I'm superior, but because that's not that's not the gospel. That's not Christianity. It's not a party atmosphere. It's not for people to come and just feel like, well, we just accept sinners. Well, Jesus accepts sinners, but he didn't call sinners to just stay the way they are. He called them to repentance. Now, if, if you're at all those megachurches, not one of them, I believe, uses the King James Bible because you wouldn't want to. You wouldn't want to tell people they need to repent of their sin. Jesus did not call the unrighteous to hang out with him, just like the new Bibles imply. You know, if I wanted to attract a lot of people to our church, then I'd get me a new Bible. But if I want people to be born again and flee from the wrath to come and get their lives changed, I'm going to stick with the old book that tells people they need to repent. Um, do you ever notice the arrangement of the four Gospels in your Bible? You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then comes John. Uh, I think that's perfect, perfect uh, uh, harmony because in the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
you got these words, Matthew 4, 17. I'll just quote it for you. Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand. Mark chapter one, gospel of Mark now. And Jesus saying the time is fulfilled. Uh, this is John preaching. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. In Luke chapter five, it says, Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Matthew, Mark, Luke, repent, repent, repent. And the problem is when they come to John, the word repent's not there. And that upsets some people. That sort of confuses them. Some believe that there's no need for people to repent anymore. We just need to believe. That repentance is a change of your mind about unbelief. Jesus never told anybody to repent of their unbelief. He told them to repent of their sin. Not like you have to list every one of them, but you have to repent of your nature, of, of what you do. You know, when you when you don't agree with repentance, when you think that this is this is you know this is kind of harsh, let me tell you, I, I'm not trying to make it harsh. Well, I actually am. I'm trying to make you wise up to the fact this is why so many people just sort of come and go in Christianity and they never see change, is because there's no repentance in their heart. You see, John wrote years after Matthew, Mark, Luke were, were finished, so he's not gonna cover old ground. It was repent, repent, repent. Once people go through Matthew and Mark and Luke and you read John, all you have to do is just believe then. All you have to do is just receive the gift of eternal life. If you start in John and then go back to Matthew, you'll never appreciate it. You got to start in Matthew and then end up in John. Let me give you an illustration. When do you care about a life preserver? When do you care? If somebody's swimming and I throw my life preserver, They'll, they'll push it away from them. They'll go, everything's fine. I'm just here in the, uh, in the water and everything's fine. But when that person becomes aware of the danger, like they're going to go off a, a, a waterfall or they're going to be sucked down a drain, I don't know what the thing is, all of a sudden they'll go grabbing that thing. And the same is true with Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's worn, worn, worn so that people, when they come to John, is I've got to believe. I've got to believe. Now, so the only time that you'll care about a life preserver is when you're convinced that you need it. And the only time people want to get saved is when they're convinced they need to be saved. So the meaning of repentance is kind of, kind of unusual. It is not penance. You pick up a Catholic Bible and it's John the Baptist up there saying uh, in the wilderness, he says, do penance. That's not what the Bible says. Penance is the suffering or the pain that a person voluntarily subjects himself or herself to or is imposed on them as a punishment for their sins. They made that one of the seven sacraments of the church, the only means of getting grace. But repentance has nothing to do with penance. It is also not a decision to stop sinning. Do you know how many drunkards say every morning with a hangover, say, I'm never picking up another bottle, and a few days later they're picking up the bottle? That's not repentance. It is also not salvation. When you repent, you don't get saved. Repentance is an attitude. Salvation is the work of Christ. I don't get saved. No matter how many times I repent, it doesn't make me closer to, to heaven. It just makes me ready for God to work in my heart. It's the attitude. Repentance is not a prayer you pray, by the way. It's the attitude you approach God with when you pray. Can I say that again? Repentance is not a prayer you pray. I hereby repent. No, it's not a prayer you pray. It's the attitude you approach God with when you pray. When you're proud, when you're full of yourself, when you're full of religion, God will not hear you. 
But when you're broken, miserable, when you're desperate for God to show you mercy, then God is right next to you saying, here we go. Here's the biggest point. This is the most important part of the message. I wish you would, would take note of this. It is not a change of mind, but a collapse of the heart. I looked for a word all week long. How would I describe what repentance is? It is a collapse of the heart. Go to Psalm 34. Psalm in the middle of your Bible, Psalm 34. In verse 18. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is nigh, we say near, unto them that have a broken heart, and save as such as be of a contrite, small, humble spirit. Psalm 51. The Lord is near unto somebody with a broken heart, a collapsed heart. Uh, Psalm 51, David, after committing most heinous sin, committing adultery and then lying about it and then murdering the husband to cover it up. Look at what David prays in Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of God, the things God wants you to do and have are the sacrifice of a broken heart, or sorry, a broken spirit. Because a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. He does despise pride. He does despise our, 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 our sin. But, you know, our attitude allows God to take away that sin. So it's not a change of mind. It's a collapse of the heart. Uh, say, what's the problem? Well, the problem is, uh, uh, don't go there, but Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. It'll tell you you're doing fine and desperately wicked. Who can know it? None of us know just how wicked our hearts are. So I, I have to have, I have to allow God to collapse my heart. You ever seen these buildings? I wish I could show you a, a video of one of these tall skyscrapers or a tall um, uh, apartment complex. And all of a sudden they set off some charges in specific locations and they flip a switch and boom, 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 boom. The entire thing comes collapsing down. That's what has to happen in our hearts because repentance is me allowing God to collapse my heart. Now it's an attitude. I already said that. Did your parents ever deal with you about your attitude. Now, maybe you pushed your sister. Maybe you uh, took a, an extra piece of cake. Maybe you didn't come home on time or whatever. That's one thing. That's a wrong thing. But weren't there times where your dad or your mom said, watch that attitude, because that's just as important. We think my attitude doesn't matter, so we wear our attitude everywhere we go. But the truth is, we need an attitude change. Repentance is a softness of heart towards those we have hurt and sinned against, especially towards God. How many people I know say, well, I'm not hurting anybody. Really? Well, if God says you're hurting him, take it seriously. It is a softness of heart. It is a sorrow for wrongdoing. We're so desensitized that we, we really are not sorry for anything. As a matter of fact, when we are sorry, we're only sorry when we're caught. And yet, 2 Corinthians, let's go to 2 Corinthians. Let's look at a kind of sorrow that works. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 9. Two verses here, verse 9 and 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul says this, now I rejoice because he had to rebuke this church. It had a lot of wicked sin in it. And it was a church. Paul says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry. I'm not happy that I had to make you sorry, but that she sorrowed to repentance. They go hand in hand. For ye were made sorrow, 
sorry, after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us and nothing. <clears throat> we didn't want to hurt you. For godly sorrow, sadness, worketh repentance all the way to the point of salvation, not to be repented of. I've never met anybody. I've never met anybody who, when they got saved, I mean, born again, they repented and believed the gospel that ever said, I want to go back to the world. I read about these people, these rocks, this Christian rock star who said, I'm no longer a believer. If he can say that, and if he really walks away and never has any conviction or whatever, not just having a bad day, but if he can say that, then he never got saved. Because when you repent to believe the gospel, you never repent again. It's like, it's a whole new life. It's like, you can't change, you go back. Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world, it works death. There are plenty of people who are sorry for their sin and they go out and they commit suicide. That's the sorrow of the world. The sorrow that brings life is repentance. It's a sorrow for wrongdoing. And thirdly, it's a yielded turning towards God. You know, um, uh, the greatest sentences ever spoken are just three words long. Think about it. Ready? I am sorry. You are forgiven. I love you. Greatest sentences ever, ever spoken are only three words long. Don't worry about it being complicated. You know, when we yield and we turn and we surrender to God, it's not a desire to change. It's not just a desire to change. It's a surrender to God's way of change. No matter how hard or painful or embarrassing it may be, repentance is that way that God changes us. When you allow God to actually change you, you're no longer stiff-necked. Your heart is no longer hard. It's kind of like driving. I mean, uh, uh, I think I know how to get to some place. And my wife says, well, the map says you take a turn here. And I go, no, 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 that'll take me the back way, long way. I'll keep going this way. And then I argue with my wife. And then it takes us 20 minutes longer because I'm too proud and too stubborn, too stiff-necked to just go with the map, to just go with my wife to actually say, all right, I'll let you be right. It's a turning to God where I say, God, I let you be right. I'm tired of being wrong all the time thinking I'm right. Now, let me make, let me make something real clear. Repentance does not change your destiny. It prepares you for change. Go to 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21. Learn about a guy named Ahab. Kings chapter 21, and he's not a role model for any child. First Kings chapter 21 and verse 25. We're going to go 21 to, uh, to 25 to 29. Behold, Elijah's preaching, and he says, Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, speaking from God, and I will take away thy posterity. I'll take away your children and will cut off from Ahab him that pisses against the wall and him that is shut up and left in Israel. And I will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Beasher, the son of Ahijah, for the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger and has made Israel to sin. Now, this is serious. God's saying, I want to destroy your homes, your, your, your houses, your palaces. Everything's going to be destroyed. And, uh, and, and of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, the dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. She's going to die and be eaten by dogs. Him that dieth of Abraham in the city, the dog shall eat. And him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air he eat. But verse 25, but there was none like unto Abraham, sorry, Ahab, which did sell himself. I hear about some woman, some rock star selling her soul on a, on a 
to the highest bidder. Do you realize what people are talking about? The Bible already talked about it. Ahab did sell himself to the highest bidder to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. And he did very abominably in following idols, according to all things as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And came to pass when Ahab heard all these words, verse 27, that he rent his clothes, put sackcloth upon his flesh, and he fasted. And he lay in sackcloth and went softly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Hmm, seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? That's all Ahab had to do. Ahab didn't have to pay any money. He didn't have to go and stand on somewhere and, and uh, live up on the top of a pole somewhere. He didn't have to go to some church. His attitude changed, and God said, uh, did you see how he humbled himself before me? He, nobody else saw this, not even Elijah. But God saw it and said, because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring this evil in his days. But unfortunately, it will happen in his son's days while I bring the evil upon this house. You see how important it is to make that U-turn? Because danger is coming. That's why John the Baptist says, you better flee from the wrath to come. Now, the most important added, uh, part of our life is, therefore, our attitude. Because God looks at our heart, doesn't look at our hands. You say, look at what I do. Look what I say. As a pastor, I can preach this Bible from start to finish. If my heart's wrong, I'm wrong. Our modern culture needs an entire change of attitude toward itself and towards God. All the beliefs in the world are not changing it for the better. Do you know how many religions there are in this world? And yet this world is a powder keg. Jesus calls sinners not to some act of contrition or of, of taking and doing a baptism or of doing some good works. He calls sinners to a whole new attitude that allows God to be right and us wrong. Jesus calls us to repent. Most of us know how to have our attitude. We wear it. We wear it at work. We wear it at school. And uh, I wouldn't want to be a teenage girl if uh, you, today. I mean, the kind of attitude that is among teenagers is of hell. God sees that. And we need to repent. We need to have a change in our attitude. Jesus calls us to a whole new attitude. And it's actually not just I did it at salvation. It's a constant thing. A lot of people today have grown up thinking it's normal for young men to act like animals. A lot of young men think it's normal to get drunk. A lot of people think it's normal at a wedding to get so plastered drunk they can't remember their wedding night. They think that's normal. Our world needs to repent. A lot of girls at 14 believe it's okay to start dressing and acting like they're 20. They need to repent. You say, my 14 year, your 14-year-old needs to repent, and so does mama for allowing her to do that. Adults and teens alike need to, re need to repent. I don't care how saved you are. I need to, I, listen, I'm saved 39 years. I still need to constantly look at my life and go, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I need to get right. I need God to make me right. We need to repent of our secret sins. See, now I'm getting down to where you live. There are things your wife doesn't know about, your mom doesn't know about, your husband doesn't know about. But God knows. And you need to come to God and say, I repent of that. I need my heart to be soft about those things, not hard, not, not resisting your convicting power. Right now, some of you are mad, angry at me, and you just want to switch me off. Maybe you already have. I don't know. 
Don't do that. Don't be angry. The truth is we need to repent. We need to repent of our bad attitudes that we carry around for years. We need to repent of our proud looks and our proud heart, our self-righteousness, never allowing anybody to correct us. I read about that lady there in, in the uh, uh, Central Park in New York. Black man came up to her and told her, you're not allowed to have the dog without a leash. And she called 911. She had a heart problem. She had a heart problem. She needed to repent. Uh, she wouldn't allow anybody, she, especially a black man, to, to correct her. That's in us. We need to repent of making church non-essential. And I'm really grieved about this. How many people are going to show up when it's our chance to get together as a church? If our church has been deemed non-essential by the government, it's because Christians have made it non-essential already. You need to repent of that. You need to go to God and say, I'm sorry for letting sports, letting the pillow, letting anything be more important than gathering together, the assembling ourselves together as, as Christians. We need to repent of abusing our bodies. We need to repent of throwing our bodies to the lowest bidder. Repent of making fun of the Bible and family of marriage. We need to repent of being prayerless. We need to repent of, shall I go on? Hmm. Why, is it, why, why is it so important to repent? Because the consequences of living without a right, without a right heart are eternal. Hmm. Let me say this. When you harden your heart, it gets harder to soften. Our hard hearts only grow harder with time. That's why a lot of people stop coming to church because they don't. At some point, they knew the Holy Spirit saying, it's time to get right. And they went, no. And then it got harder, and then it got harder, and then it got harder. And it ought to scare you, dear Christian. It ought to humble you, say, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to let the devil harden my heart. Simply because I started with a hard heart. I want God to soften my heart. Did you know, go to Acts chapter 19, Acts 19, you cannot be saved without a soft heart. Acts 19 and verse 4, too many people will just agree with the gospel, but they'll never let it save them. Acts chapter 19, verse 4, then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance saying unto the people, not that repentance was what they needed only, but that by repentance, it says that they should believe now on him who should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. If they just came straight to Jesus without John preaching about sin and warning them of coming judgment and calling on them to repent, if, if somebody did not repent and when Jesus came, they would never get saved. I'll show you another one, Acts 20. One more chapter over, chapter 20 and verse 21. Acts 20 and verse 21. Paul spent his life doing this one thing, testifying, preaching both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. What did he preach? An attitude towards God of repentance and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't just say, well, I believe the Lord Jesus Christ with a hard heart. You need to come with a soft heart. That's why preaching, that's why church sometimes has to make you uncomfortable so that you're willing to take the, the life preserver because you need it. Not because you're going to wear it, not because you're going to show it off, but because that, when you put that on, then you can be saved. Hard hearts only grow harder with time. That's a scary thought. 
There are some people who never bounce back. And I'm sad about that. I agree because that's not right. I can stand. I can give them the gospel and just smile and look at me and just go, I don't believe it anymore. I feel so sad. Somewhere along the line, they switched off from letting the Holy Spirit deal with them. They started disagreeing with the Bible, started disagreeing with the preacher, started disagreeing with everything. And now they're their own God. You cannot be saved without a soft heart. It's that important. And here's another point. You'll never enjoy God without a soft heart, without an attitude of repentance. You know, repentance is like uh, hard ground being broken up so that you can put seed in it, so that water goes down deep into it, and that fruit can grow. In the word of God, when you bow your head, if you do that right now, it will be priceless and say, God, please, I'm making a U-turn right now. I'm sorry for being so hard. I'm sorry for how I have fought you and argued with you for years. If you would do that, the word of God, I don't have to preach one verse for you to go, yes, that was so good. But if it takes 400 scriptures for you to even get motivated, then it's a waste of my time. A soft heart, a soft heart makes the difference. You'll never enjoy God without a, without a repentant and soft heart. Uh, if you and I would just easily repent, there is such blessings. God will step in and save your marriage. God will save your kids. And God will save your sanity. Uh, Proverbs 123, I don't want you to go there. Let me just read it to you. It says this, Proverbs 123, turn you. See that word? Turn back, turn to God. Turn you, that's repentance. At my reproof. Don't turn away, don't get upset. Turn to me at my reproof, God says. Behold. At that point, I will pour out my spirit upon you and I'll make known my words unto you. When I turn, I say, God, you win. That's when the blessings come. Now, how to repent? I'll show you one scripture and I'll be done. Back in Joel, Joel chapter two, just before Matthew, go back a few books, you'll find the little book of Joel. Joel chapter 2 and verse 12. Just read this, make some comments. Joel chapter 2 and verse 12. Therefore also now saith the Lord, watch these words, turn ye, that's that repentance, even to me with all your, not mind, with all your heart, that if thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath risen from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's a heart thing we're doing here. Turn to me with all your heart and with fasting, with weeping, with mourning and rend your heart, break your heart and not your garments. Don't put on a show. And if you would just turn to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness that, and he repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. Those, those three verses there tell us four things we need to do. Number one is humble ourselves. Are you really going to wait for God to humble you? Or wouldn't you like to do it yourself? To humble yourself means to break yourself down with fasting, weeping, and with mourning. Those aren't happy-go-lucky things. They're serious, desperate things you do when your heart needs to be broken by sin. That's why church is essential. Because you need somebody to keep the pressure on you. So that we stay humbled 
and we stay broken towards God. Rending your heart is where you allow the, 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 the seriousness of how far away you are from God take hold on you. Do you know, I don't care if you're saved or lost, you can realize how far away you are from God and you can start to say, I hate where I am. And you turn to God and you say, I want to be saved. Humble yourself. Secondly, turn towards God in your heart and emotions, not just your head. God says, turn ye unto me with all your heart. What does that mean? You need to be honest that you're going the wrong direction. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. That's us. We go our own way. That's why Jesus came to take uh, our sin on himself. And Isaiah 55 says this, let the wicked forsake his way, abandon it, dump it. And the unrighteous man, even his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him. Return to our God, he will abundantly pardon. It works for Christians, folks. 2 Corinthians 7, 14 says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face. What's that mean? Turn and look unto him. Turn and see what he's interested in. See him as the focus of my life instead of my problems and the world going crazy like it is. Turn from their wicked ways. Turn from their wicked ways. You're not going to get rid of your sins. Say, well, I'll get rid of my sins. No, no, that's not repentance. Repentance is you turn your back on your sins. You say, I need Jesus. I need a savior. I'm tired of trying to fix my life and patch up my life and, and, and make up for my life and all of my sin. I look unto Jesus. And then you can do something called for confessing and forsaking sin. Proverbs. I said this was the only scripture, but I'm going to take you to a little bit more. If you go to Proverbs chapter 28, back to the left, Proverbs 28. The word confess means to agree. Do you know when you stand before a judge, if you've gotten a ticket, and you stand before that judge and the judge finds you guilty, you know what he's waiting for you to do? Say, yes, your honor, I am guilty. That's confessing. You don't confess to some priest, you confess to God. The Bible says, Proverbs chapter 28, I'm not there yet. Proverbs 28, verse 13, it says this, he that covereth his sins shall not ever prosper, but whoso confesseth, and forsaketh them shall have mercy from God. Happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardened his heart, hardened his neck, resists God's convicting power, he falls into mischief. And then you got 1 John 1, 9. You don't have to go there. You ought to know it. It says, if we confess our sins, if we just agree with God. Confession is not where you say, oh, I did wrong here and 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 here. No, 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 no. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin and you go, I'm sorry, you're right. That's confession. You're agreeing with God. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, unri even the un all unrighteousness, even the unrighteousness we don't remember. And number four, draw nigh to God. You know, uh, back there in Joel, it says he, he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and he repenteth of the evil. Now, the, the idea is of a mirror. Now, if I'm five feet away from mirror, guess how far away my image in the mirror is? It's five feet back. It's as if I'm 10 feet away from the image of me in that mirror. But as I step towards that mirror, which way is that image moving? Towards me. I get closer and closer, and I touch that mirror and that glass, the image of me on the other side touches the other side. That's how God works. 
The, the more I turn away from God, guess what God's doing? He turns away from me. The more I'm upset at God, the more I live my own way, thinking God doesn't belong in my life, guess what? That's how God is to me. But the moment I turn to him, the moment I turn to him, he turns to me, he repents. Somebody once described a cat as being, this. my cat is cantankerous. My cat just, just is angry. My cat scratches me all the time. And that vet looking at that person saying, uh, tell me how you care for the cat. So the guy puts the cat down on the table and starts to rub the cat and the cat. And that vet reans over there and turns the cat around and says, you're rubbing the cat the wrong way. And we think that God's all, and we're dealing with him the wrong way. Now, I can't turn God around, but I can turn my heart around. And the problem, any problem I have with God, with the Bible, with Christians, is the way I am in, in dealing with them. That's the wrong way. And repentance is, I want to change the way. <clears throat> I want to be, I want to repent of the way I treat other people. Because that'll make this world a better place. The more I draw nigh to God, James 4 verse 8 says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Now, that's how you repent. You repent not just to say, oh, I'm sorry, and go on and live the way you always do. Repentance is so that you can draw nigh to God again, so that your heart's soft again, so that God's word can be planted again in your heart, so that you can get saved, so that you can live for God and do something for God. So whatever you got to do, whatever it takes, have the attitude of repentance. Your mom should never have to ground you for a month. The moment that your mom says that was wrong, you need to go, I'm sorry. Quick to say, I'm sorry. Now, the older you get, the harder it is. So learn it young. Let me finish. What's your attitude like? Is it sorrowful? Is your attitude humiliated, defeated? Good. Now you can ask for forgiveness. Now you can ask for God to save you and to give you the gift of eternal life. And you know, you when, once you ask for forgiveness, once you ask for the gift that Jesus purchased for you, you'll get it. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord with the right attitude shall be saved. And then right after that, you can ask for anything else you need. Because God doesn't care if you ask God to move a mountain. If you ask God for the most impossible thing, he's looking to see, do you have the right attitude? But if you, um, uh, to tell you, I want to say this to tell you that you can be saved by faith in Christ when you have no idea just how much trouble you are in will mean nothing to you. But if you realize just how eternal hell is and how righteous God is and how sinful you are, you might just fall on your knees right now. I did. I got down on a kitchen table on a Sunday night after church. You might just fall on your knees right now and cry out from your heart of hearts for God to save a wretch like you. You can't say God save a good person like you. Because he doesn't save anybody but sinners. Um, I read recently this quote. He or she who justifies themselves must be condemned by God. He who condemns himself will find complete justification in Christ who died for their sins. What does that mean? It means if you don't think you have sin, then Christ cannot make you right. But when you are condemned and you accept that, God can make you whole. The quote goes on, I am told, I am not told to labor to put away my sin. So foolish, weak, and helpless, I never could begin. But blessed truth, I know it, though ruined by the fall. 
Christ for my sin has suffered. Yea, Christ has done it all. See, repentance is not part of your salvation. Repentance is you saying, I'm now ready to be saved. He's done it all, but he can't put it in you until that hard heart is finally broken. Our world needs such a broken heart, doesn't it? I don't think that all over America that people are going to instantly repent. But the people who learn this Bible message, at least we should. I think if Christians, myself included, looked at our heart and said, Lord, teach me how to keep that heart soft. Help me to be instantly sorry. Help me to be instantly repentant. I don't need to whip myself. I don't need to lay out on a bed of nails. I don't need to suffer for my sins. Christ already suffered for my sins. But I do need to mean it when I say I'm sorry and that I want to be different. And I want God, whatever he's doing to change me, I want to let him change me. Are you saved? Are you saved? That's the question. One of these days you'll wish you can repent. Do you know what the, the, the rich man in hell said? Send Lazarus to go to my brothers, lest they come to this awful place. If one rise from the dead and go and tell them, they will repent. That's funny. He wanted his brothers to repent and not come to hell. He wished he could repent. Dear Christian, is bitterness and rebellion eating you up? The only cure is not faith. It's not belief. It is brokenness before God and repenting and begging God to soften your heart so that he can change you. Father, take these thoughts. May we learn that repentance is not something that only happens to bad people. Repentance is not only for the lowest of society, because it is for them, but it's also for the best of society. We all need to have an attitude that is quick to realize we're a mess. We'll never be much more than vanity, except outside of Christ in us, there is nothing good. And when we get to so full of ourselves, we get to thinking that I really don't need God this week, that's when we need him the most. And we need to repent. We need, if we would just look at our lives and look at our week and say, how little I put God first. And now I'm sorry. How much sin I have absorbed from my entertainment. And I'm sorry. And if, if, if God, you would accept your people turning back to you and humbling yourselves, I pray that you would, if that is true, that you will accept, then I pray that we would do it so that you would heal our land. You'd heal our, our families. God, please do a work in your people so that this world would want a work done in it too. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna do the same hymn I've done each week. That is the decision, the decision that Jesus asked Levi, follow me. And when Levi left all his worldly possessions, when he left that, that table full of money and the power that he had, just to follow Jesus, you know what he said? I'm just gonna let Jesus lead and I follow. That is repentance. He did not say, oh, I'll catch up with you when I'm not busy. That's not repentance. Repentance is putting some things down and following Jesus. You know, the more your attention is on Jesus Christ, the less it'll be on the past sins that used to run your life. I have decided to follow Jesus. Let's repeat it. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. That's that's where lives are changed. Though none go with me. Now, maybe you don't have anybody else who wants to follow with you. Maybe you're in your home and everybody else is doing their own thing, their own religion, their own faith or non-faith. 
Though none go with thee, will you still follow? Think about it. No turning back. No turning back. And really, put the world behind you. I mean, you can get you can get very discouraged watching all the news. We've been discouraged for the last three months. But now it's time for us to keep our eyes on the Lord and say, Lord, I want to keep the cross in front of me. I want to keep the, the fact that we humbled and humiliated Jesus Christ for our sin. We put him on the cross. We nailed him there. Our sins uh, killed Jesus Christ. Here we are. How can I not humble myself and say, I'll follow him? No turning back. No turning back. God bless you. As you think about this message, I pray next time somebody corrects you that you're quick to say, sorry, you're right. Now, maybe they're not right. Maybe you need to just humble yourself and say, please explain to me. But let's be soft. Let's repent. And let's keep repenting. Because Jesus didn't call sinners to perfection. He called them to repentance. It's a way of life. And I pray it becomes more my way. God bless you.